Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I'm Matt Harmon. It is that time of the week, my time to be hosting. And I'm so excited today because I get to be joined by Football Guys co-owner, my dear friend, one of my closest um, confidants, mentors, dads in the fantasy industry, Sigmund Bloom. What's going on, man? Looking good, man. Uh, It's always great for us to have an excuse to get together, right? Isn't that what this time of year is about? We really enjoy each other's company. It helps keep this fantasy football space very positive even though sometimes the fantasy football itself makes us feel very negative. Yeah, right. It can be uh, this time of year, especially because we're mostly just trying to avoid like bad news. You know, well, I feel like I've been saying that basically from like July until week one. It's just like, let's avoid any negative headlines. Let's avoid any injuries, anything like that. But that's usually um, what we have to talk about. But we're going to talk today about our tiers Sigmund does great tiers, uh, quarterback tiers, running back tiers, wide receiver tiers. We're going to cover all of that. I do a lot of work with tiers as well, both like behind the scenes for Yahoo and also my front facing tiers as well. So we have a lot of stuff to cover in a short amount of time. So we're just going to jump right into really the only like, quote, news item of the day. Bloom, we got to pour one out for Tim Tebow. Mm. This is um, probably the last time he's ever going to be mentioned on this podcast because he was waived by the Jaguars this morning. Uh, Obviously not a fantasy relevant story i don't know i will say though i was a little bit like surprised Mm -hmm. i know he looked horrible in that preseason game but i had basically been saying the people who said he had like zero percent chance to make the team were insane because you would have said there was a zero percent chance he was on an nfl roster in in february of this year but here he was obviously the experiment is no more really now i think this just shifts the focus from urban meyer's weird tim tebow thing to urban meyer's weird not making Trevor Lawrence the week one starter yet thing. (laughs) Absolutely. And alluding to Urban Meyer's rational ability to be rational or not actually is what's at the center of this if we're going to break it down for fantasy. And a simple fantasy footnote here, if Tebow were to make the team, it may have hurted Trevor Lawrence because Lawrence could get those goals. Urban Meyer, if he's going to do what he did in college, there should be lots of opportunities for the quarterback to run. But if it was Tebow, maybe he could have gotten those goal line opportunities. And you nailed it because if you'd say, well, duh, he got cut. Well, but it wasn't duh, he was going to get signed. So we have to say we're we're off the coordinate plane of rational decisions once he got signed. And that 
then speaks to how we are trying to interpret and project this offense for this year. Because if we think that Urban Meyer is rational, then the best talents are going to play. It's a meritocracy and we can rely on our talent evaluations. But if Urban Meyer is just going to square peg round hole this with his experiences in college, then it makes you much more reluctant to invest in any player in this offense because it would be so unpredictable. Yeah, I mean, I think we left the plane of rationality, my friend, as soon as like the tweets hit the timeline that they were thinking about signing <laughs> Tim Tebow, because that in and of itself is weird enough. But yeah, I think the Jaguars have come up a lot on this podcast because there are so many interesting paths that this team can go down. And the Urban Meyer thing does really throw it throw it off. Like I talked to JJ on the show, our mutual friend JJ Zacharyson, a couple of episodes ago on the podcast and in like a... You know, normal sense, I believe the way he put it was like DJ Chark shows all the signals of like he should be the guy in this offense. And and ADP has dictated that as well. Like it shows that there's at least for most of the offseason, like best ball drafts and everything. He was going pretty well ahead of guys like Marvin Jones, LaVisca Chenault, whatever. But that that, again, is sort of assuming normal paths here with Urban Meyer. And I think we're kind of beyond that plane of reality here with our friend urban so i'm kind of open to anything with this offense like i've sort of just been in line with consensus with all of these guys except marvin jones like mm-hmm. i think the gap between marvin jones and dj shark always needed to shrink i think it's shrinking a little bit because shark has been hurt but that's kind of the way i look at the jaguars man it's like i'm up for anything here i could be mm-hmm. convinced of any path like james robinson another thousand yard season i could see that why not right. travis Etienne, 80 catches sure you can sell me on that. Like any right. of, all of this is within the realm of possibility. Absolutely. And I think that you outlined perfectly the approach here because as fantasy experts, I make air quotes when I say that we do have to take Big a stand. Quotes. We can't, we have to take a stand, right? We can't just say, Oh, it's too hard to figure out. Good luck. We have to take a stand. And a, a stand is don't take anybody from the Jags offense but be ready to overreact to what you see in the first two or three weeks. In other words, yes. be ready for a wide range of possibilities and act once we have an idea of where in that range we're going to land. Because it isn't just why we get drawn in. You know, our mutual friend Eric Stoner is blowing up my text right now saying, I'm getting sucked into the Jags offense. He's, we're talking fantasy, you know, <laughs> getting sucked in. I'm getting sucked in because he's a Jags fan too. But you can get sucked in. I got a similar gonna... text a few weeks ago. So he's, right, he's, he's clearly struggling with this. Yeah. Anyway more Jags, it's because this offense is going to be a lot better than it was last year. Yes. Urban Meyer, be damned. There's going to be a lot better because it's not Gardner Minshew, I don't think. You know, it's not going to be Jake Luton. You know, we're going to have a real quarterback in this offense, and they have some good skill talent. So mm-hmm. they're going to be playing from behind probably because of the defense. They can make some hay for fantasy, but there's so many permutations into how that pie of production could be cut up. Yeah, I think that's the takeaway here is that while it's really hard to distribute the workload here, while it's really hard to ascertain that plane of reality that the Jags will be living in, the one thing that we can't deny is that there are some pretty good pieces here. And for that reason, like I love your your point about what we see in weeks one, two, and three are going to mean a lot more probably than the summer ADP, which is usually not the case. I know Adam Harstead, uh, another football guy's uh, writer, he always says that like ADP usually is the, is is like after four or five weeks, like things will start to correct more to what we expected to happen. But the Jags might be an outlier in that case, which is always good to take that stand on those teams. Uh, they'll definitely be on that radar. But 
let's move into your tiers, uh, where mm-hmm. we kind of differ, where we're sort of maybe the same. And I think one of your best philosophies, and I've obviously taken a lot from the way you think about football, because uh, you're the reason I uh, got a gig at football, guys, my friend. You're the reason where yeah. I'm here right now. We're we're doing this show together. Uh, so I've taken a lot. One of the things is that with rankings in particular, it's not so much about like slotting players in the correct order or, or being the most accurate. It's if somebody's going to draft off your rankings, they're going to know Bloom's got a big stand on this guy. Mm-hmm. He wants you to take even if he's like 10 spots ahead of ADP where you want you to take that guy. I, I think that's the point of drafting off a analyst, a writer, their rankings or whatever is where they're convicted, where, where they're feeling a lot of conviction, where their stands are really strong. So we'll get to some of those players at the top, but or well, a little later, but let's start at the top with your running back tiers in particular. Tier one, you've got McCaffrey and Cook in a tier all on their own. And I, this is another reason your, your tiers are different than mine is I think you go a little more granular with the tiers, which I'm always like tempted to do, but kind of why do you feel the need to sort of like really differentiate between right. McCaffrey cook uh, versus like Henry and Elliot? Cause for me, those are my tier four and Camara too. Those are my tier five backs. I think that it's a semantics thing. Almost if you're picking 10th, then it doesn't matter. There's the top right. five running backs. You're probably not going to get one. Maybe he's equal fall, right? If you're picking second, you're picking third, you're picking fourth. Now we're splitting hairs. We split hairs a lot, Matt. But in the first round, that's what you do. In the second round this year, that's what you do. There are seemingly minor differences between these players from a big picture point of view, but you have to commit in the moment of truth. So I think that, you know, in this case, it's because McCaffrey and Cook are truly foundational players in their offense and their offenses are aligned with their talents. And I think that Henry's foundational, but he isn't foundational in the passing game in the way that Cook and McCaffrey are. I think that Kamara's foundational in the passing game. I'm not really sure what they're going to do about... I wouldn't be surprised, Matt, if we see Kamara play by a large margin, a career high split out wide because of the problems Mm -hmm. they have with their passing game. And signing Devontae Freeman could be a tell, although now there's some murmurs that Latavius Murray is getting paid for million, so maybe Freeman could take his spot. Anyway, and then you have Zeke, and the reason and Zeke is kind of a foundational player, and the offense is tuned to his talents. My only fear about Zeke is you just saw him not look the same last year, and maybe he right. goes out week one, week two, and he looks like he did two, three years ago, and you're so glad that you took him. And there's also this Dak thing, this shadow of Dak's shoulder. So I think that for somebody that says, who should I take at number four, or who should I take at number three, I want to be able to give them a confident answer, and that's why I break up the top of the running back tier that way. Yeah, that makes complete sense. And I, I want to kind of expand on the Camara point, too, because I would love to pick your brain about just the Saints offense as a whole. And he's really our only avenue to kind of talk about it because he's really the only relevant player right, in this right. entire, in this entire hey, Marquez offense. Callaway. You got a Marquez Callaway reception perception take for us from like the three games he played last year. There are a lot of folks uh, begging for that. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I'm too proud that, to that and, that and that and that and Brian Edwards. I'm like, well, at least it would be fast. It would be yeah, done quick. Exactly. Yeah. So it's really, honestly, those are probably the guys to do in August, the ones that will be over with very quickly. Um, but on Camara specifically, like, yeah. it's been tough for me because I, I've i been ahead of consensus on Camara for each of the last two seasons. You know, I had him as the RB1 going into 2019. And, you know, he had those injury flare-ups, whatever. It didn't really happen. But then that actually did happen in 2020. But I actually thought about placing him in my – 
second tier, which for you would be like this, the, the third tier of guys here, just because, man, I mean, a big part of what makes him so appealing and a big part of why I said even in 2019, like why I would have taken him potentially number one overall that year was he has an absurd touchdown ceiling. Like he, if right. there was a guy like we saw that last year, I mean, in, on, on Christmas, we saw that, right, that he had that in any given game and over the course of a season. But does he realistically have that ceiling in this offense? You know, I don't know. It's really yeah, tough because like Sean Payton obviously is still there. That's the saving grace, right, that we trust Sean Payton to put something together. But if we're talking about making chicken salad out of chicken, like there's a, a pile yeah. seemingly of chicken at the New Orleans skill position players right now. It is a pile. And I think you outlined it well when you said, well, at least Sean Payton's still there, right? Here's right. the proposition. Is Sean Payton, Pete Carmichael, this offensive line, is it so good that it really doesn't matter what you get at the quarterback position? It just has to be not someone that comes in and pukes all over themselves. It really doesn't matter if you have any true downfield threat in the passing game. This offense is going to produce by virtue of the quality of the offensive line and the quality of the play design. And you just need basic execution, like Andy Dalton level execution, to at least make this a viable offense. And then Kamara's going to be okay. Or was Drew Brees more important than we think? And I'm inclined, it's funny, because I can make a lot of Saints jokes here. Um, you know, my wife, you know, my wonderful wife, love my life, Kate, she's become a diehard Saints fan since we moved here to New Orleans. And I've had to kind of tell her, well... Bad timing, by the way. Yeah, yeah, right, the very tail end. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. she and other people down here were of the mind of, well, Drew Brees was kind of holding back this offense last year, or at least he's not able to throw downfield. But I, I've come all the way around to say, well, he may not have helped the offense as much on the field, but I wonder about off the field. I wonder about just that sense of a, a Tom Brady, a Peyton Manning. Yeah. When he's in the building, you get it together. When he's in the building, you bring your A game in every aspect of what you do because they do, because they lead by example. I don't know. I just think that we could easily see the Saints offense sputter all year all year winston and hill haven't exactly uh, distinguished themselves in camp in the preseason to date and there's something to be said for and we'll see when michael thomas is back forcing a defense to at least honor the deep pass and you know deontay harris i guess but i don't know if you're going to get this defense get defenses to lay back, I think you're going to see stacked boxes. I think you're going to see a really aggressive defensive approach. I think you're also going to see a conservative offensive approach by the Saints because just like when Teddy was in, you want to just win games with defense, don't turn the ball over. So it's not necessarily an atmosphere that's going to create a fantasy overachiever. That being said, Kamara is the kind of dude that, yeah, 120 catches is in his range of outcomes this year. He, that could just be the offense, basically, because you know at least they're going to get them. He's going to get them in makeable down and distances as a receiver, maybe not as much as a runner as a receiver. So even if the offense struggles, that could just lead even more catches for Kamara, which is kind of a backdoor cover if you take him in the top five. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. The backdoor cover of fantasy draft picks there. Now it's it's so many things to go off of there, and we won't spend this whole time talking about the right. Saints, but like. The fact that we don't have really any lean in terms of what this offense, like who's going to start at quarterback, is really problematic too. Because right. I think there, there's definitely some logic to Drew Brees was holding the Saints back from like a ceiling perspective last year. But he could have really also at the same time been keeping them afloat from a floor perspective. Right. And I just don't know that Jameis Winston <laughs> theoret theoretically could access that ceiling. But he could also really 
slam that floor, you know, like in terms of being surrounded by guys like Marquez Callaway, Deontay Harris, Adam Troutman. Like these are the the pass catchers we're talking about with this team, like Traquan Smith. Like it's not a great group. And then in the other token, like if Taysom Hill is the starter, there was this idea that, oh, they'll be very run heavy. But then does that ding Kamara as a pass catcher? Is Latavius Murray going to get more work? Well, now it's like, is he Latavius Murray going to make the team? Like, so there's just so many, like, even maybe even as much or more so than the Jags. There's so many different paths that the Saints can go down that it does have me like a little worried about Kamara, but worried to the point that I just have met RB five and still right. in the second tier, still in that, like in that first tier. But, you know, I didn't want to lower him any more than that because he's an incredible player, great ecosystem with the coach, great offensive line. Like that's all still there. So I didn't panic too much. And I'm, I'm glad we at least share the same concerns there with your tier three and tier four running backs. Anyone here jump out at you that you're kind of sending someone a signal in terms of, to draft or not to draft. Yeah, I think that, and this is going to be uh, Cecil, my co-host, you know well, has said the second round is going to be just as important as the first round this year. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. Uh, because, and it, there's two layers to this, Matt. One layer is, if we're talking running back around the turn or in the second round, which running back? But then there's another layer, which is a bigger picture thing of running back versus wide receiver. Because, you know, you're weighing... Gibson, Mixon, Harris, Edwards, Hilaire against Jefferson, Brown, Ridley. And that's, I mean, we could do a whole show and I don't even know if we would come to a good conclusion. You just have to take the guy you have the most confidence in. Yeah. But I think as you sort those guys out. And also to that point too, yeah. to that point as well, like you're not just weighing that decision. I think you also then have to weigh your, if your three, four turn decision, because right. then, exactly. then you're weighing like, your fourth tier of running backs versus your fourth tier of receivers. And if you're just going to line those two up, I guarantee you, you want receivers. Yeah. You want the receiver. <laughs> you always want the receivers. Wait, you want the receiver. This is the tension at the heart of fantasy football drafting in a nutshell, right? Because in every single round, you're going to like the wide receivers better than the running backs. But the deeper you go in the draft, the less you're going to like the running backs and the more you're going to like the wide receivers. So you have to make an unpalatable choice of some running backs over some wide receivers where you feel more certain about the wide receiver than you do the running back that you're taking over that wide receiver. But that's the case every single round of your draft. So you have to just pick your spots. And again, it circles back to the player you have the most confidence in. For me right now, I think in this group of players, it's Antonio Gibson. Same. And, and we get that note. They're trying to gear him up for the McCaffrey role. Look, everything that we wanted to hear about Antonio Gibson that would signal all systems go... We have gotten. Yeah. So I, I think that uh, he's the guy that you target out of that tier. And I, I think that basically it's up to him how high he can go. He absolutely has a top five finish in his range of outcomes, i.e. one month into the season, Matt, we're getting questions like somebody's offered to send me Nick Chubb for Antonio Bryce. No, someone offered to send me Alvin Kamara for Antonio Gibson. No, I mean, yeah, it could be, mm-hmm. it could be that good that quickly yeah he honestly for me i was tempted to put him in my second tier which is for me around guys like nick chubb aaron jones saquon barkley austin eckler jonathan taylor like i I, that and that would signal like this is a guy i'm comfortable taking in round one like late round one and would be ecstatic to get in round two so i'm i'm sort of sending the same signals there uh as you are and just to put a put a note on uh put a point on the note about like you're not just making that 
two three decision you're also make or the round one two decision you're also making the three four decision my tier four of running backs david montgomery chris carson daryl henderson jk dobbins okay tier four of wide receiver Brandon Ayuk, Julio Jones, Adam Thielen, Deontay Johnson, Odell Beckham, Jamar Chase. Like, that's fine. But then when you get to tier five, that's mm. when you're talking about the DeAndre Swifts, the Miles Sanders, right. the Mike Davis. Tier five of wide receivers, it's like, all right, T. Higgins, Robbie Anderson, Chase Claypool. Right. Like, I, yeah, I exactly. want, you know, and, and also those guys are going to go later. Like, you're probably weighing tier five running backs against tier three or four receivers. And so that should sort of, I I think there's just a natural progression this year to want to grab two running backs early and then just start rounds three to seven, just hammer that receiver position. Maybe if you find a tight end, that's palatable, it's somewhere in there. I think that's how you have to approach running back this year. That's sort of been the consensus. And I, I feel like we're on the same page there right now. Yes, and really the easiest way to elucidate it is just like you said, you have to choose between a tier three or four wide receiver and a tier five running back. Just the quality is always going to be a disparity with the exception of maybe the very top of the draft. Yeah, and I think ADP will naturally like dictate that for you to the point that that's why I don't really I don't do how do you feel about drafting off like overall rankings versus drafting like positional tiers because inherently you do eventually have to weigh running back versus wide receiver or a quarterback or something like that, but I get questions a lot like when it comes to drafting off tiers and when people are 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 using my tier sheet or whatever. Well, do I just like take each tier one group by tier one group? Well, no, because then inherently like I'm not telling you to weigh Dalvin Cook versus Josh Allen or right. or whatever. So that's kind of the easiest way to think about it. But I don't know. For me, it's just like there's already kind of a natural order when it comes to ADP. Like you'll, you'll figure that out based on what you want. Like you don't want to come away from rounds one through five with all running backs. But I think if you draft it off a positional list, you might end up doing it that way. Right. So you mentioned one of the simple, straightforward points, which is if you draft on overall rankings, you still have to be agile enough mentally to know, well, I started out with three running backs. Even if the best available players are running back, I need to not take a running back for a few rounds. But I think yeah. that where we get into the the differences between using the two is when we get to the idea of the drop-offs at the position. And yes. no, I would never recommend to use overall rankings to draft because overall rankings present something as if the granularity, like to use the term you pulled up earlier, between each number, like number one is one unit higher than number two, which is one unit higher than number three, which is one unit higher than number four. And that's not actually how it is, right? We might have the number 15 player and number 25 player closer in value than the number 26 player and the number 25 player, right? Or 28 and 25, you, you get the point. So what tiers allow you to do is show... Those, or some people call them buckets, the groups of players that are relatively equal. So that gives you an idea if you need a running back and there's a tier of seven running backs and the seven of them are left or five of them are left and your next pick is up in 10 picks, that you're probably okay. But if only one is left, then maybe you should take that one. And yeah, exactly. tiers allow you to show those gaps. And overall ranking still can because you can look on your overall ranking and say, well, Let's see how the running backs. Ideally, the overall ranking list should give you an, a rough idea of tiers. But I think, Matt, if we were living in a world where we could have anything we wanted, you probably would have an overall ranking list. And by the way, the football guys draft on it is kind of like this. That depending on there the you pick <laughs> you take, it resorts itself, right? Oh, you started wide receiver, wide receiver. Now the overall rankings change this way. 
you started running back, running back. Now the overall rankings you would use for the rest of the draft change this way. That's the best way I can describe how people should think of it going through their draft. Yeah, and also think about it too. And you should always think about the draft this way. You should think about what you're going to do from like an execution standpoint when the games actually start shocker i know because we focus so much on the draft but we are actually going to have to use whatever this team comes out to be to make weekly decision make wake make weekly decisions during the season and on that note like i guess the best way to say it is like my running back 37 is zach moss my wide receiver 37 is antonio brown i feel like you're going to want to break ties in favor of starting antonio brown much more often than you will zach moss but like from an overall standpoint, maybe that would that would be easy to see. But from a tier standpoint, that's easy to see. Like running back tier nine, that's where old Zach Moss is. Antonio Brown is in tier six, you know, among right. wide receivers. But they so, might be within, say, 10 or 15 spots of each other in the overall rankings. Yes. But again, it's all about what are we going to do from like a week to week basis within the actual season. OK, let's move to or are there any other running backs before we move to wide receivers? That was a tangent. Anyone that knew this podcast was going to happen, there was going to be a little bit of a tangent sure. here and there between Sigmund and I. Are there any other running backs like outside of this top four tier uh-huh. group that you really have like a a stand like you're really stamping as like, make sure you take this guy if you're using my rankings? Maybe not make sure you take him, but definitely be open to taking uh, Trey Sermon. I think that uh, Trey Sermon is a player that has unimaginable upside. If everything lines up for him by the end of the year, he could absolutely be a league winner. And going a little bit deeper, and when you get to your bench, I'd say Gus Edwards. And if you're in a PPR league, James White and Giovanni Bernard. These are all excellent bench wide receivers. I call them like by emergency uh, injury backs. But I can envision scenarios where any of them are backs that you're comfortable plugging in as you're running back to every week. I love the Trey Sermon point. Um, Brett, get the shot glass out because I'm going to say it again. Like getting the 49ers right yes. is the key to fantasy football Your in 2021. Team, right? Yes, my lifelong, my well, the fan, the team I was a fan of, a lifelong fan in 2019. But like, Locally seriously, world I famous, think, yeah, yeah <laughs> I think that um, I, I just feel like they're the team that you, they're so, they're again, same with the Jags. And same with the Saints, but there are so many, so many more positive outcomes. There's so many paths that this team can go down based on how long is it until Trey Lance takes over? Like, what's the offense going to look like then from an overall volume perspective? And with Trey Sermon, like, I think there's a lot of outcomes for him to win. Like, I think the only, the only, I guess, path that could happen is that there's just a straight up 50 50, 60 40 in favor of Mostert committee. But how realistic is that? You know, like Trey Sermon already out there running as the clear top back in preseason. And again, Mostert wasn't playing in that first game. So that's fair to note. But at the same time, like Trey Sermon does just have, as you said, unimaginable upside if all things hit here. And I think there's a lot of pads for him to hit. So he's a good one to mention. Um, I think he stands out. Like when you're looking at that sort of disgusting running back zone of of guys like Mike Davis and Josh Jacobs and, you know, Kareem Hutton. Oh, Miles Gaskin. Yikes. T- tough, tough break uh, for the Miles Gaskin folks in preseason. Looks like that's going to be much more of a straight up committee than people thought. Why would you want, not want to take Trey Sermon ahead right. of those guys? You know? Why would you, I, I still think you have to rank like Jacobs and Davis ahead of him theoretically, but I bet by the end of the season, you're going to want Trey Sermon on your team much more than those guys. End of the season, Matt, who do you want to start week one? Trey Sermon against Detroit 
or Josh Jacobs against Baltimore? I mean, that is a great way to put it. That is a great way to exactly what I just said like five minutes ago about like these actually have to be week to week decisions. Like those things become week to week decisions right away. And just right. because you took, you know, just because you took old, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs a round or two ahead of Trey Sermon, it's like that doesn't matter even a little bit once the games start. And right. yeah, or even if you're like on the clock, it, even if you're on the clock, you're like, well, I have to play this running back. Like I, I only took one running back in my first five picks. I have to t- play the running back I take in the sixth round. I don't even know if Jacobs is falling to the sixth round. He's an expert, quote unquote, expert drafts. But I probably would rather play Sermon anyway, even with a healthy Mostert. Yeah, and. There's like such, there's all this back and forth about when's the best time to draft. Like when is the the best time? You know, if there's one argument to be made about like drafting right before the season starts, it that those those decisions are very yeah. concrete. Like they're, they're they're, those are yeah, they are immediate. Those are like these are realities that you have to make these decisions. Not like when you draft at the beginning of August or the end of July. You're like, oh, the season that's so far away. Let me tell you what you get here to August 17th, and if you're doing this as a profession, it don't feel so far away. <laughs> It feels very, very close. All right, let's move on to receivers. Your yeah. tier one, pr- pretty typical, Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, Stefan Diggs. I don't think there's anything really um, major to talk about there. But your tier two, and like you said, this is where it gets interesting. Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, Calvin Ridley, D.K. Metcalf, C.D. Lamb, higher than consensus on C.D. Lamb, that's for sure. Um, but that is where like the position really get spicy and god it is tough i mean like i said i think you do always have to kind of keep in the back of your mind that eventually rounds three to four four to five you're going to be weighing not so great running backs versus really appealing receivers but it is really tough to turn down the idea of aj brown or justin jefferson or calvin ridley in round two right you just feel so good about those guys and any of them could be players again like antonio gibson three, four weeks into the season, well, he should have been drafted with Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. Let's not say ahead of, because that's a high bar, but with. It, it could be obvious even after one or two games that all of these guys are actual first-round values. And to get a first-round value in the second round is massive. It's, it's a massive win. It's as good of a win as getting a fourth-round value in the 15th round if you can get a second first-round pick. And this is why, for those of you who auction. I'm probably foregoing taking any of the top 15 players, 12 to 15 players in an auction. And I'm breaking up my money so that I can have multiple second round picks this year. You know, I want to have, I want to ha- trade my first round pick and fifth round pick for two second round picks or something like that in an auction approach. Would you consider yourself to be a very disciplined person? No. Sigmund Bloom? No. Yeah. I would say I'm, I'm a, I, I put myself on the positive side of the discipline scale when it comes to like life dieting, exercising, work ethic, that type of crap. But man, buddy, when I get in an auction, I got no discipline. Uh, <laughs> 37, 39, 41, 43, 45. Right, right, right. And personal. so that like every every year I go into a salary cap draft auction, whatever, like with the idea that I am going to um, like every year I go into the I go into like a salary cap draft and I, I look at it and I say, I'm going to do exactly what you just said. Round two type guys round three type guys i'm gonna try to secure like four of them or something like that and i end up getting involved in the cooks the mccaffrey's which great but still i don't have the discipline to do exactly what you just said and i wish i did i really wish i did well i wish i was disciplined as you when it came to eating and exercising (laughs) well you know we'll see uh it's a long (laughs) it's a long season yet my friend (laughs) 
<laughs> but it, yeah, I think that 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 round two or tier two group of receivers really does um, really does kind of kind of hammer the point home there. You have Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, tier three. You don't have Terry McLaurin in this group. I have those guys all bunched together within my tiers. I don't what's what is the separation between an Allen Robinson and a Terry McLaurin? And you know how much I love right, both of right. these players. So. so I have a high floor wide receiver one group, which is Allen and Robinson. And I have a high ceiling wide receiver one group, which is Hopkins and McLaurin and Cooper. Um, and these guys are a notch below the ascendant and upside guys who we just talked about, Jefferson Brown, Ridley, Metcalf, Lamb. And I think it's just a question of I feel reasonably certain in 90, 80, 90 percent of the weeks, Allen Robinson and uh, Al, Keenan Allen are going to be 10 point plus PPR plays. Like they're going to get five for 50. This is just a baseline. Like that's just what to expect or four for 60, whatever. That's just a base expectation every single week. Now, guys like Hopkins, Cooper, and McLaurin can give you two for 33, or they may give you seven for 200 and two touchdowns. Not that the Allen Robinson and Keenan Allen can't give you that massive upside game too. So I, and also I think these things may make a difference in PPR versus half PPR. Keenan Allen, Allen Robinson, much better PPR picks. By the way, if I could take anything out of presenting these tiers or the split in these two tiers, high floor versus high ceiling, it's to go back and look at DeAndre Hopkins last year, his game log, and you might be surprised at how many floor games he had because I think he got off to such a hot start and everybody was just saying, hey, Murray to Hopkins, receivers changing teams, et cetera, no big deal. But it was kind of a big deal, maybe because of how predictably they used him. But I'm not certain that they're going to get the light bulb turn on and change that this year, not with Rondale Moore and A.J. Green also in town. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Hopkins in particular because that's not a group you typically see DeAndre Hopkins drafted with in, in fantasy football this year or or ever, like the group of guys you just mentioned there. So I, I sort of have the same, I guess, reservations about DeAndre Hopkins, but they're not like reflected within my rankings, right? Like, um, mm-hmm. so maybe that's something I have to kind of look in the mirror with because there's not only like, are there all the concerns that you just mentioned about Hopkins? And by the way, like, there's a decent bit of the usage thing, right? Like, uh, you know, no receiver in this era of football has ever lined up at such a static one position, like 80% on one side of the field. Right is unheard of but that's what we were getting last year with Hopkins like especially a player of his pedigree is so bizarre and I don't really know what to take away from that because like from a production standpoint end of your production things were still pretty fine but like the explosive plays that you're used to with DeAndre Hopkins those were not there by the way they've never really been there in this Cliff Kingsbury offense with Kyler Murray like uh, Rich Rebar calls it the horizontal raid and like now we've got Rondale Moore in there. Like he's the horizontal play, raid right. player you know, personified. So are they really going to become that more of a deep shot offense? And with guys like Green, with Moore, with Kirk there. Also, if Chase Edmonds is like the clear cut top back, if there's a big separation between Chase Edmonds and James Conner, Chase Edmonds is a pass catching back. You know, he's he's a receiving first back. That's more targets to take away from Hopkins. So I think you can definitely nitpick Hopkins fantasy outlook to the point that maybe having him as a clear cut top five receiver maybe is not the, the smartest way to play this thing. I agree. And I think that 
But the other point I'll add to this is just when we're talking about players like Jefferson, Brown, Lamb, Metcalf, they're still on that steep upslope side of their career arc. Right. Right. They're they're going to be better. We just don't know how much better. DeAndre Hopkins might not be past his peak, but he's certainly at his peak. And that's another reason that I think it's easy to break that second round tie against Hopkins. I think to your point, yeah, obviously he's definitely at the peak. I would say he's definitely at the peak, not past it, but he's at the peak. Those other guys are currently peaking. I think you also have to count on if if Hopkins is going to be a top five receiver this year, and I've still got him ranked that way. So I think I I sort of believe in this part of the range of outcomes. You're counting not on him peaking, but his quarterback peaking, like taking that mm-hmm. next step. I think you're counting on Kyler Murray take, like evolving just a bit further as a passer, especially, again, as an explosive passer down the field. That's really how Hopkins is going to, if he's going to lose some like share of the targets, you're going to want those targets to be more you're to be worth more to be more efficient uh that's going to count on kyler murray and also also on cliff kingsbury like taking right. the, taking the next step let me put it this way here's a simple way i'll just deal this down if you like deandre hopkins enough to take him in the second round then you should probably be targeting kyler murray as your quarterback yeah i think that makes perfect sense and uh nobody could really argue against taking kyler murray as your quarterback other receiver tiers mm-hmm. that sort of stand out to you from a grouping standpoint or guys that you are specifically kind of sort of telling people to draft or not to draft? Sure. Maybe against my better judgment, I still like T. Higgins. I still like Tyler Boyd. I'm Robbie Anderson. I think it's been totally overlooked that he is reunited with his quarterback from the Jets that actually made Robbie Anderson a bit of a fantasy start for a little while. You know, as we get deeper into the draft, I think you should absolutely reserve a pick for one of Hardman, McCole Hardman, Darnell Mooney, Elijah Moore. Again, these are the up, unknown upside guys. Hardman's got the wide receiver two role. I mean, maybe not in terms of two wide receiver sets, but the second most targeted receiver. We're hearing the right things that make him worth a 10th round pick, okay? Mooney and Moore, Callaway a little bit later. I think is someone that be willing to take him and say in the 12th or 13th round, just because everything that we are hearing is that he's not just playing like a number one receiver. He's carrying himself like a number one receiver. He's ready already as a second year on draft free agent to be the alpha, which is a big ask considering the cornerbacks he'll face, but he seems up to the task. Yeah. I like all of those guys that you mentioned there. Um, the Hardman thing is, is tough because I think he's sort of gotten like a bad rap you know, in his first couple of years, basically mostly because of our expectations. Like people really expected him to, and this happens all the time, you know, the, the quote post-type sleeper or whatever. Like there were a lot of folks really excited about him last year. Didn't quite happen, but there's still plenty of positivity uh, in his outlook. And I don't think he played from like an individual basis. I don't think he played poorly last year outside of a couple of bad drops and a couple of mistakes right. and stuff like that. But there's enough, I think, signal there for the team to still be excited about him. So he's definitely somebody I think you take in the double-digit rounds. There, like there, there are some best ball drafts where he goes extremely early. Like we're talking like, you know, wide receiver 40, wide receiver 39 type area. And there are a lot of guys that I think I would take ahead of him there. But once you get into the 50s, the late rounds, round 10, 11, I think Hardman's perfectly fine there. Let's be a little quicker about our quarterback and tight end thoughts here. Um, With your quarterbacks, pretty standard tier one, Mm -hmm. Mahomes, Murray, Allen, Jackson, Prescott. On Jackson, though, I had him two weeks ago, three weeks ago, as my quarterback one entering this year because – there was so much positivity, I think, about Rashad Bateman, 
Um, and I think there was all of this like potential for Jackson to maintain a thousand yard rushing type of floor. Like you could just set that and forget it most likely, but also you could tell yourself the story where he was going to get back to being a top five quarterback in terms of yards per attempt, in terms of touchdown rate. But now Marquise Brown was hurt for a time right. in training camp. Rashad Bateman now might not play week one. Now it's like we're back to like Sammy Watkins and the skeleton crew at at wide receiver. That's not exactly what you want. So we have him actually in the same sort of range. I've still got him at quarterback three, but you've got him at quarterback four. It's it's, it's not as exciting with Lamar. And also, by the way, the cold COVID list thing, too, is another thing to talk sure. about with Lamar as well. Yeah, I agree. The only notable thing I'll say here is I'm this close to putting Russell Wilson in that top tier again, which is where he was last year. Yes, yes. And in fact, if I needed a quarterback and Dak and Russell Wilson were both on the board, I might take Wilson. I think I probably would take Wilson. So that's something that, again, is one of those things like you mentioned where your rankings don't necessarily reflect what you would do in the moment. That's why it's important to do drafts, see what you believe versus what you actually do. Because I think there's something about the immediacy of being on the clock and having to live with that pick that can clarify really fast a theoretical into something concrete. Yeah, I've always had Russ and, and again, I think your tiers in this way are actually more like concrete than mine and mine are a little more granular when it comes to quarterbacks because I've got two tiers. Like the guys you're talking about for me are two tiers where like I, I think Mahomes, Allen and Jackson, maybe based on what I just said, maybe he's still in this tier. But I think there's a slight separation between Murray, Prescott and Russell Wilson. But I've always, always had him in that group. And honestly, like being uh, in on the Apex League that we're both in one of the most competitive leagues uh, that I play in every year. I took Russ, I think for like the third year in a row as my quarterback. And I felt like very confident once everybody else was off the board, that Prescott tier, I felt like so much excitement about taking, taking Wilson there. And I think that just, there's so everything that we saw early on with Russ last year, I think we're going to see from like a season long perspective this year. Yes. Uh, so I really like that call as well. Uh, when it comes to the earth, second tier quarterbacks, anyone beyond that, yeah. uh, where where do you? It's, it's just all kind of like eh, it's going it to be by the is, book. Right? Except I like Brady more than others. Like I would take Brady over Me Aaron Rodgers. I like Tom Same. Brady a lot. And of course, it's going to be by the book. Lance Fields. When are they going to take over? Lawrence. We talked about at the top of the show. A little more attractive now. Intriguing, like the rest of the offense. Ryan Fitzpatrick. Come on, got to give him a mention. You know, Absolutely. Carson Wentz could be interesting if he's back early from this injury, we remember that reunited with Frank Reich, the guy at the left tackle worked out, but reunited with Frank Reich, this was when he played his best football. This is a good offense, good surroundings, uh, good opponents, right? You play Houston twice, you play Tennessee twice, etc. So he could be somebody that if he doesn't get drafted, we may need to pounce on on the waiver wire. Yeah, totally. Um, with the tight ends here, you know what I'm I say. love the way you, I, I love the way you did this. You know like, what I'm going to do here. <laughs> you're taking Travis Kelsey, even with even with his shaved beard. No, still <laughs> maybe nah. I mean, we, he we, looks he looks ridiculous. By the way, with that shaved with that shaved he does. beard, he, he looks a, very un Travis Kelsey like. I don't feel the Travis Kelsey. It'd be like if Marshawn Lynch cut off his dreads or something. This is a lesson to all men out there: mm -hmm. if you grow the beard, keep right the beard. Samson and Delilah, right? Yeah, I shaved mine once, like all the way off. Um, but that was like I hadn't seen my face since I weighed like 320 pounds. So I was just curious. Right. And after a few days, the curiosity was tempered. Yeah. 
that was enough of that. But so you've got tier one, Travis Kelsey, tier two, Darren Waller, tier three, George Kittle. I love the way you structured that because I, I actually, I mean, I still have Darren Waller and George Kittle in the same tier, but I'm not, dra- I'm not drafting like George Kittle in that range. Like, no. I'm not, I'm not t- treating him in, in that, in that way. Like I actually think there probably is a round separation between these guys. Yes. With Waller back on the practice field, Waller is closer yes. to Kelsey than he is to Kittle. Yeah, completely agree there. And then your tier four, you've got Kyle Pitts, yes. TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews. Obviously, you feel the conviction on Kyle Pitts here. Yeah. Look, if Kyle Pitts was announced as a wide receiver and we had heard everything else exactly the same out of Atlanta camp, everybody would say he's in for a big year as a rookie. But because he's a tight end and we've seen so many rookie tight ends fall short of expectations, there's just this idea of the weight of history. But the weight of history has already been thrown from Kyle Pitt's shoulders right. when he was the number four overall pick, when he was the first non-quarterback taken. And he has a Julio Jones size hole to fill in the target share of the Falcons offense. He's probably going to play in line, what, 25% of the time at most. He's going to basically be a wide receiver and a wide receiver that they emphasize in the game plan and one who has all the tools and all the skills to take advantage of it right away. Yeah, completely. I mean, just forget history, I think, when it comes to Kyle Pitts, because he's not a he's and not a historic prospect. Like he's a historic prospect. And that means like you throw history out, right? Like this is not history is not instructive in the case of Kyle Pitts. And in in that way, I'm I'm with you there. I liked Andrews a lot more again, like a couple of weeks ago when I liked the entire Baltimore Ravens offense a little more to the point that I would have had Andrews at tight end four. But I think at this point now, Pitts needs to take that jump because what is holding him back from a big year really nothing um after that tight end gets murky as we all know ever everyone knows this is there anyone at tight end you know whether it's tier sure. f- tier five tier six yeah that you have earmarked because i do think there's some appeal to a guy like tyler higby who i sure. think you could argue is in this group of yeah. guys like with the mark andrews with the tj hawkinson um i think in the next year like why now that Aaron Rodgers is back, like why should we not draft Robert Tunyon like a clear top eight tight end? Yeah, Tunyon could be a lot closer to Andrews than people who take Andrews want to believe. I still have Andrews ahead just because he did come on once Lamar Jackson got on track last year. Higby, yes, because he had that run in December 2019 where he was the number one fantasy tight end. Now that was with uninspired Jared Goff, which is maybe why we look at TJ Hawkinson a little bit longer. But what can right. Higby do in an, uh, an offense for the Rams, that it's going to open its petals like a flower because now McVay has a quarterback that he can work with. And McVay can run the offense he wants to run, not the offense that he can run with the quarterback he has, the offense he wants to run. Uh, going a little deep, and Higby's my clear tight end seven. And if you don't take a top six tight end, Higby needs to be your target. No matter who you take as your number one tight end, you should be targeting your favorite tight end too. I make this speech often. You, first of all, can make your top tight end one a trade bait target if your tight end two hits. But also, if you do take an early tight end, which I advocate, you want to take away one of the outs for the teams that don't. So whoever you're most confident in, I'll give you two. Blake Jarwin, this is easy, right? I mean, if he got if he got the targets that Dalton Schultz got last year, and I get it, Dalton Schultz is still there. He's competent. But Blake Jarwin's a big play tight end. Only Jared Cook had more yards per target or per catch, I think, uh, two years ago than Jarwin towards ACL week one. The other one, Gerald Everett. Gerald yes, Everett. Yes. Right? We like Russell what? Wilson. <laughs> Gerald Everett is a receiving tight end. He's coming over with an offensive coordinator who knows him. Not only that, Shane Waldron was actually Everett's tight end coach in his yes, uh, Everett, Waldron's first year and Everett's first year in the McVay regime. That was the first pick of the McVay, McVay regime. 
So Dwayne Eskridge, toe problem. It's not probably going to go away this year. Everett's likely to be the wide receiver three in a Russell Wilson offense. That sounds good to me. Yeah, what are we doing with like the uh, the rankings of like Gerald Everett in like the 20, like tight end 20s range? Like, you know, in a way like this, it's been sort of consensus hive mind thought that, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, like Gerald Everett is gone. So we got to bump Tyler Higby a little bit back up. Like we got to keep some hope there for him. But like none of that has happened then for Gerald Everett. It doesn't make any sense. Right. I have him as tight end 13. Like he's a perfect tight end two candidate because for example, I love the strategy that you just laid out there tight end. Cause I think it's a little counterintuitive or like, or a little counter to the mainstream, whatever, like take two of them. And also, by the way, like if in two weeks, Gerald Everett's not getting any targets, he's playing like yeah. 50% of the snaps or whoever this tight end two is, he's your easy first cut for like the hot waiver wire running back. But yes, Gerald Everett, like, what are we doing here? Like he should be a, like in that tight end, one range for all of the reasons you just laid out. And if you're still doing best ball drafts, such an easy stack with like Russ, the two receivers, and then you bring Gerald Everett back with it because those weeks that Gerald Everett like irritatingly takes a touchdown from Lockett or Metcalf, you're still getting the credit for it. So I love that we are on the same wavelength there. I love uh, that we can close out the tight end talk on some enthusiasm for a guy going in the late rounds because it's hard to find that right around now. We are always enthusiastic, passionate, and uh, you know, fond of each other's company. No doubt. Uh, Sigmund, let the people know what your plans are for this year, your content, yeah. where they can find you. Yeah, footballguys.com, Audible, I think eight episodes a week. I'm about to come out at the end of the week with uh, my big game plan for your draft. Tears already out there, as you said, rankings. We're publishing stuff over the next couple of weeks, what we're learning, what's changing. That's the main thing that we need to be paying attention to as we get ready for draft season, as we get ready for football to be back. And again, we get ready to spend, even in a virtual way, a lot of time together. No doubt about it. While you're waiting for Sigmund Bloom's big plan for your drafts this year, we have a lot of podcast offerings that you can take in here at Yahoo Sports, specifically if you're looking for college talk, follow the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our friend Pat Forty from SI. A lot going on in the college football world. A lot of things you need to keep up with. In the meantime, I'm at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. That's at Sigmund Bloom. Check us out all on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. Dalton Del Don will be back tomorrow with a new special episode. And until then, we're out. <laughs>